Good afternoon and welcome to the show. It is episode 31 of The Way It Is, the official Bobby Galinsky podcast. It is the 23rd of October 2020 from beautiful downtown Bayside, Melbourne, Australia, wrong side of the world, upside down, just about 10 days before the U.S. election, a week before Halloween, horribly shitty weather here, bucketing down rain, and as I like to say to all the listeners around the world, bonjour, salut, hola, que tal, zdravotsutse, privet, ni hao, salve, ciao, konnichiwa, ya yo, guten tag, hallo, hi, hola, i, hayang no, haseo, et el assalamalulikrem, achan, gadag, hello, hello, shimaku, hamakachacho, gordindag, hello, yosas, yosas, jiden, gobri, kater, wishtas, salamat, siang, Hello, namaste, namaskar, hi, hello, mirham saleh, digadag, bonjourno, bonsoir, shalom, hey, and oh my God, if you just can't take any more of that, well, <laughs> I understand, I know how she feels, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. Are we still in lockdown? For those of you interested in what happens in Australia? Well, the benevolent dictator, <laughs> Dandy Dan, gave us a gift last week. Hey, guess what? We can go 25 kilometers from our house and do fuck all. 25 kilometers to nowhere. Although... 48 hours ago, I played tennis. They opened up tennis because, you know, there were millions of tennis-related deaths around the world. Millions of tennis and golf-related deaths. So I guess he figures it's safe now. But it ain't safe, as world champion Aussie golfer Adam Scott has developed COVID. So there you go. One day out of it, one day of freedom, and now starting again. We're going to talk a little bit about the U.S. election. I said when a fortnight before the election came, we talk about it, but in a very neutral term. And that means a candidate-free term. We'll get into that in a while. And even though it's not International Beer Day, which was back in August, it's International I Remember Beer Day because um, something quite memorable happened to me on this day in 1978. On this day... Back when I was quite naive and everything was about selling advertising with sex, without thought. We are going to talk about advertising, beer, bees, more, more on bees, the election, um, the amazing response that we've had on comments and Twitter and social media and everything on the last two weeks shows the interview with Antonio Sabato Jr., I am overwhelmed on how many people just fell in love with this guy, with his purity and clarity of heart and his feelings uh, as he shared it so generously on, on the podcast, what he's gone through and uh, what he's done to build his life back up. And an amazing response from people that listened to the nine-year-old Ollie last week. And what it's like in lockdown, especially from people on other sides of the world that um, haven't had kids in lockdown or done homeschooling and things like that. And uh, I hope I've encouraged lots and lots and lots of nine-year-olds to um, start getting into Netflix's Ratchet series, which is really one of the few series absolutely made for the whole family. And families are just loving it around the world. It really, it really brings families families together. And uh, what else has been happening in your week? Have you, have you accidentally, you know, whew, what was that? That's what happens when you leave the sound on too loud on the sound effects. When your crack production team is up in Vallejo, California, and can't give two Fs, uh, helping you out with some of the technical bits from time to time. But uh, have you ever, you know, accidentally after receiving millions of dollars from the wife of the mayor of Moscow, acknowledged it on your laptop with an email and then taken the, the laptop into a store and for service and forgotten about it? Well, 
Now you know how Hunter Biden's feeling. And the motto of this week's show is, I know a lot of people get really emotional now before the U.S. election. People from all around the world, everybody's invested in it, no matter what country you're from, other than New Zealand, where they don't have the internet yet. Oh, and before I forget, I do have one nice thing to say about Daniel Andrews. He took down the level crossing on Torak Road at the Monash, and I do love him for that. Now, let's get back to this. But in just about every other country, people are pretty invested in it, and they're very emotional. And I have, as you know, lots of friends on both sides of the electoral fence, and they're great friends. Doesn't matter who wins or loses, who's president, what's going on, things like that. But there are some whose entire life is hinging on that and getting very emotional. And I'm going to quote Ben Shapiro, who I would love to have as a guest on the show one day. That's on my bucket list, who's an amazing intellectual. And uh, he has a book out, which is called Facts Don't Care About Your Feelings, Even Though Your Feelings May Care A Lot About Facts. Facts are facts. They're indisputable. And you may have a lot of feelings about them that you don't like, but facts don't care about your feelings. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. We have some great discoveries on science, bitches. And what your podcaster wore and drank this week has, um, has put a spring in his step because there is spring in my step. And it is spring, and I am stepping so um, stay tuned and hold on to your hats. I love that term, hold on to your hats. It's been around for hundreds of years, I suppose, and it's applicable in just about any country. Now, because I do this show for you, well, that's a bit of a lie. I kind of do this show for me. It's a bit for my ego and my philosophy. And the title of the show is The Way It Is. So it's always about the way I see things, how I see things, and what I consider facts versus speculation. Now, but unless I have an audience, um, it'll be too lonely. So, as you know, I do do this show for you, and I love it when, you know, the numbers go up. But I really don't know what you love the most, so I would really love it, and it'll make your listening experience even more fun. If you drop me a line and say, you know what, on this particular episode, here's what I absolutely love. Can you do more of that? Or on this particular episode, stuff like that, you know, bores me to death. I can't imagine me being boring. I almost, it's almost a physical impossibility, but I suppose anything exists. I didn't believe that Wu flu would paralyze the, the universe um, back in February. So anything's possible. So you can um, either go to the Facebook page, which is the way it is, official Bobby Galinsky podcast, that's easy, or you can go to my Instagram, or you can go to the um, actual website of the podcast, which is the way it is, dot blueberry, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, dot net, and, um, you know, or email me, or, you know, fa- you know, send a direct message, whatever you want to do, say, I really love this because the more that I can find out about what you want, the better this podcast gets. And um, otherwise I'm just living in the dark on speculation and, uh, you know, go to Apple Podcasts or whatever your platform is and, and leave a review, an honest review of what you like and things like that. Cause that, that really helps. Cause if you're taking the time to listen to this, obviously you can tailor it to you. Now, if you want me to spend hours and hours on um, what pronouns to use with gerbils that have undergone sexual reassignment surgery in Nepal, I, I, I will have limited time for that. It, would, it could possibly make its way into an episode, the one where I talk about the lesbian, indigenous, one-winged owls in Bernie, Tasmania. But other than that, um, you know, I do want to focus on things that uh, a broad base of listeners like you would enjoy.
That wasn't a rumor back in March when I said that this whole Wu flu thing would blow over by July. I was wrong there. I was wrong. That wasn't a rumor. It was my opinion at the time. And uh, I was wrong there. It's still blowing over. It just hasn't stopped. So, uh, I, and I meant July 2021, not July 2020. So you just need to listen to the subtext of everything. So on that note, you've subscribed. You got yourself a nice glass of water or a, a nice big glass of Wibarova vodka, wherever you are, or a nice wine. What's, what's a good wine to drink this week? Well, let me tell you what's a good wine to drink this week. Chateau Margaux, 1959. And you can get a bottle for about 56000 U.S. But I didn't drink that this week. No, I didn't. I'll talk about it, though, shortly. But you know it's coming. One small step for man. One giant leap for man. Died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. My firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Fear itself. Roosevelt, loser, bad president, him and the New Deal. Oh, forerunner of the Green New Deal. <clears throat> this generation's suicide mission. Anyway, on this day, on this day, and we're going back a ways. We're going back way base to 42 BC. As the Roman Republican Civil Wars, the Second Battle of Philippi, Brutus's army, as in Etu Brute, is decisively defeated by Mark Antony and Octavian, and Brutus commits suicide. I don't know how he committed suicide. It wasn't like Socrates, who uh, drank hemlock and... Yeah, I tried to find hemlock at my local bottle shop. I couldn't find any. But I remember Socrates' last words were, I drank what? Anyway, 425, Valentinian III is elevated to Roman emperor at the age of six. The age of six. That, that concerns me. You're a six-year-old leading a country. Reminds me of Joffrey and, uh, you know, Game of Thrones. You can't have kids leading the throne. And uh, in 502, the Synodus Palmaris, called by Gothic King Theodoric the Great, just discharges Pope Symmachius of all charges, thus ending the schism of anti-Pope Laurentius. As I give two fucks. I don't know what that's even about. Now, let's get into some things that I do know a fair amount about. In 1091... A tornado, possibly a T8F4, that is like the mega tornado, that is like the Hiroshima tornado, strikes the heart of London, killing two and demolishing the wooden London Bridge. Whew. Heavy. Heavy. Very heavy. In 1520, King Carlos I was crowned German Emperor Charles V. In 1668, Jews in the news, Jews of Barbados, were fit, forbidden to exchange and retail trade. They're always fucking with the Jews. Always. Leave us alone. Can't you just leave us alone? 1690, revolt in Harlem after public ban on smoking. Now you're thinking, 1690? There was no Harlem in 1690. Sylvia's Waffle House wasn't even formed. No, this is H-A-A-R-L-E-M, Okay. Know your Dutch history. And speaking of Dutch history, in 1702, the Battle of Bay of Vigo, not as in Mortensen, as Dutch and English fleet destroy and occupy Spanish silver fleet and the French squadron. Now, in 1760, the first Jewish prayer books were printed in North America. But just 30 years later, slaves revolted in Haiti, which were later suppressed. And in 1812, as in the War of 1812, and as in a coup d'etat, there was a failed coup against Emperor Napoleon. You know, 
The short guy, the short guy with the bad haircut. Yep, that's it. Let's get a bit more modern. 1876, the New Orleans Mint reopened as an assay office. In 1884, the first World Series was okayed by AA Providence National League, beating the New York Mets American League 6-0. And I know that you're waiting on this. I know you're waiting. In 1910, the Ritz Hotel in Madrid opened with 200 chambers and 100 bathtubs. That's huge. That's huge. And 1915, God, the world just goes by. An estimated 25,000 supporters in a women's suffrage march on New York's Fifth Avenue, led by Dr. Anna Shaw and Carrie Chapman Catt, founder of the League of Women's Voters. <sighs> Big mistake. Big mistake. You know what? Because when you look on social media and you see all the people freaking out at riots and screaming and going berserk, I mean, the, the people on social media going the most clinically deranged, it's all chicks with lots of tattoos and piercings. So this is observational. This is deductive and reductive reasoning. Chicks, piercings, tattoos, deranged. We're going to talk about more of that. I'm not quite sure all the connection. But we gave you the vote. We gave you the vote. And you're not being appreciative. <laughs> oh, my God. 52% of my listeners are female. Love my female listeners. And I'm glad you have the vote. Because if you vote and you're a female and you're listening to my show, you have your head on straight. In 1920, the Chicago Grand Jury indicts Ab Adel, Hal Chase, and Bill Burns as the go-betweens in the Black Sox World Series scandal. The darkest day in sport anywhere in the world. Not the day that the... Essendon team in Australia had some doping or something like that. And all the newspapers go, oh, darkest day in sport, darkest day in sport. Like, who cares? It's the AFL. It's played in one country. It's a great sport. I do like it. But, you know, give me a break. The Black Sox World Series scandal is the darkest day in in sport. Dark, well, or other any day that the New England Patriots win a game is the darkest day in sports. And 1933, John Dillinger. He of the very long member and his gang robbed Central National Bank in Greencastle, Indiana, taking $75,000, which was an independent bank record at the time. Poor John. Poor John. And uh, one more thing. 1935, Dutch Schultz, Abe Landau, Otto Berman, and Bernard Lulu Rosencrantz were fatally shot at a saloon in Newark, New Jersey, in what will be known as the Chop House Massacre. Now, my wife and I went to Sparks Chop House in New York on 35th, and um, that is where a couple of mob murders took place, too. It's also the best steakhouse in Midtown, in my opinion, in New York. And uh, I like going to steakhouses where there's been mobsters murdered because you get a sense of history, and every time you put a nice knife into your steak... Kind of makes you think of that. It's it's good. I also like reading the paper the last couple of weeks where a lot of bikies were, mur were murdered. Every time a bikie's murdered, an angel gets a new set of wings. Bing! And obviously by bikie, I mean illegal criminal bikie gangs. I don't mean people on, you know, Schwinn bicycles or, uh, you know, people that just own motorcycles. I own motorcycles uh, throughout my life until one fateful day. I'll share that in a future story. But I can't stand criminal bikey gangs. I love the show Sons of Anarchy. Don't like criminal bikey gangs. Handled there. Now, what about fun? In 1941, Walt Disney's animated film Dumbo was released. The biography of Justin Trudeau. And uh, also, on this day, Jackie Robinson in 1945 signed with the Montreal Royals his first contract. And uh, 
There was a film premiere in 1952, Limelight. Premiered, directed, written, produced, and starring Charles Chaplin, Charlie Chaplin, in Clear Bloom, with appearances by Buster Keaton. I gotta say, and this is gonna really upset a lot of people, I never was into the little, uh, you know, the little comic. I wasn't a big Charlie Chaplin fan, wasn't a Buster Keaton fan. Uh, I like Laurel and Hardy, I like the Three Stooges, but um, the Little Tramp, no, not so much, not so much. And uh, one last thing in history, 1956, thousands of Hungarians protested against the government and Soviet occupation. The Hungarian Revolution was crushed on November 4th. Really don't care a lot. The Hungarians were complicit and sold the Jews out to the to the Germans. So they got a bit of karma. And let's just touch on journalism, because this is a journalistic podcast of sorts. 1958, Soviet novelist Boris Pasternak won the Nobel Prize for Literature. And there you go. There you go. Now, I'm, I was going to talk about the Smurfs TV debut in 1958, but I'm not, because I absolutely hate the Smurfs, and it's created by a Belgian, and Belgians are known for two things, really, chocolate and pedophiles, and they really only specialize in the chocolate to attract the children. I will tell you, though, about the fact that Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols attempted suicide while at Rikers Detention Center in New York City on this day. Today in history! Do you want to know what really happened that floated my boat? Today, in 1978. In 1978, or this week, I think it was today. I'd like to, I'd like to go into some other things, too, about you know, sport and film and things like that. But I had a dream about this the other day and kind of looked up in my uh, old diaries. And I used to keep manual diaries. Um, I had a thing called time design. It was like a, a precursor to the palm, which is a precursor to the Newton, which is a precursor to the iPad and iPhone and all that. But the time design was an amazing diary to keep your life organized. And in 1978, I had moved from Colorado, where I attended university, and uh, worked for Paradigm Ad Agency, and uh, moved out to Los Angeles, to the agency there, which was swallowed by DDB, Doyle Dane Burbach, the old DDB worldwide. And I had an opportunity, as we talked about beer, I had an opportunity in the golden days, the golden autumn of 1978, to take on a new client called Superior Beer, Superior Cerveza. And this was in the heyday of, you know, Brooke Shields, nothing comes between me and my Calvins, real sexy ads, everything going wild. And uh, I was young and excited and uh, never really thought of um, complications. Now, the client at the time that I was given, this was my first major client being both a copywriter and marketing executive, was the Cuauhtémoc Brewery, and it was founded in Monterrey in 1890 by José Maguerres, Francisco J. Sara Maguerza, Alberto Sara Maguerza, and Isaac Garza Garza, the brother-in-law of Francisco and Alberto, married to their sister Consuela Sara Maguerza, and Joseph M. Schneider, with a capital of about 150,000 pesos. And it started off back in 1890 with the Carta Blanca brand. The Cuauhtémoc Brewery produced its first beer battle, battle fr, produced its first speech therapy seminar, the, produced its first beer barrel in 1893. You notice how I, I, I don't cover those mistakes for two reasons. One, so that you week after week know I'm fallible, that I'm human. I know some of you think, oh my God, he's, he's infallible. He's perfect. No, I'm not. I do mispronounce things from time to time. And rather than fix them with my crack marketing and production team in Vallejo, California, which is busy painting their house, thank you for nothing, I prefer to leave in the mistakes. Because even Picasso said that the greatest part of his paintings were his mistakes. And only those that appreciated them would ever spot them. So if you appreciate them and spot them, you're my greatest fan. Makes me feel so good. And it's all about me. That's why it's called 
the official Bob Eagleinski podcast. It's not called, you know, the official Mary Curie podcast or something like that. Anyway, let's get back to the Quarta Branca brand. The Quartamoc Brewery produced its first beer barrel, got it, in 1893 and won first prize in the Chicago and Paris World Fairs. The Cerveceria Moctezuma was founded near Orizaba during the late Porfirato by German brewer Wilhelm Haas. Now, 20 years later, in 1909, Cerveceria Quartamoc started to expand vertically. They had to provide glass bottles. So in 1909, Vidros y Cristales de Monterrey, later Vidreria Monterrey, later Grupo Vitro, was founded. And they produced glass bottles, which inherently was what they used to put the beer in instead of big barrels. So in order to produce boxes, bottle caps, and packaging materials, Fabricas de Carton Monterrey was founded. So this is all a one-stop shop. They made the cartons, they made the beers, they made the beer caps, they put the beer in the bottles, put it all together, which in 1900 was pretty, pretty amazing. Just imagine if they handled logistics for online delivery. In 1929, Malta SA was established to produce malt for the brewery. These Mexicans... Build the wall. These Mexicans were clever, clever little gatos. The cardboard box department would eventually become Titan Company. Now, let's go past the Depression. This is really groovy. A little bit of history. Because to know the beer is to know the history, and to know the history is to know how I got involved and to know the greatest advertising campaign that almost happened and never was. By 1936, the holdings of the Garza, Calderon, and Sada families and their associates were divided into two distinct groups, the Cuauhtémoc Brewery Group and the Vidriera Glass Group. In that year, the family's holdings were reorganized, creating Valores Industriales as a holding company, controlling the majority of shares of the firms held by the Cuauhtémoc, Cervecia Cuauhtémoc y Famosa, which created a lot of different holdings, a great deal of cash, and the opportunity for crime and for kidnapping. During the 20th century, Cerveceria Cuauhtémoc Moctezuma was headed by José Calderón Maguerza and the two Sarda brothers. Eugenio Garza Sada was assassinated in 1973 in a kidnapping attempt, oh, I knew it, by Mexican left-wing guerrillas. It's always the left. And Moderto Garza Sarda, his own brother. In 1943, company executive Eugenio Garza Sarda, with his, his brother and other prominent people, founded the Monterey Institute of Technology in Higher Education. And in 1973, the Mexican Professional Baseball Hall of Fame was opened at the site of the company headquarters. After Eugenio Garza Sarda's assassination, all of these holding companies were again split into two more groups, and the various brothers that survived were head as CEO of the respective companies, the brewery, and of course, CEO of Alpha Grupo, which is all the business aspects of the non-brewery Fien. Now, 1981, oil prices fall. Mexico's economic boom, financed with borrowed money, abruptly halted. And the company found itself with a billion in debt the following year. And the federal government nationalized Banca Serfin, the nation's third largest bank, in which the group held a 77% stake. The non-deposit banks and associated financial companies in Grupo Financiero Serfin, not nationalized, were then reorganized into a new financial services group called Valores de Monterrey, VAMSA's life insurance subsidiary, Seguros Monterrey was the largest in Mexico. That was in 1981. So let's walk back three years, 1978. During all of this, at the height of their boom, just before the crash, the brewery launched several brands. One of them was Superior. Superior was, without a doubt, one of the finest beers ever made in Mexico. For those of you that think Mexico is really Corona, Corona is like Coors. It's, you know, cat piss, really. You put a lime in it and you drink it and you think you're cool. And yeah, Corona 
had the coolest advertising campaign ever. And they really launched in the mid-70s in Los Angeles, and they took off. However, Superior wanted to crush them because Superior, with the eponymous name, is the best beer in Mexico. So across my desk came the opportunity, the opportunity to make the best possible ad that would be the greatest of all time. One night, while trying to think up a campaign, Sally Field and the Flying Nun was on the Z Channel, the old cable channel, the original cable channel in Los Angeles. I was living on Cannon Drive in Beverly Hills, which was a, a wonderful place to live at the time. And I was trying to think and trying to think, and I kept seeing the nun and the nun's habit. And then suddenly I thought, habit superior, mother superior, mother superior, make it your habit. Yes, I know, you are sweating and crying with the genius of that, as I was too, and I thought of that, I thought this is it. So we find a smoking hot chick, a model, put her into a nun's habit, showing as much as possible, but, you know, still making it family friendly, holding a beer, mother superior, make it your habit. Anyway, I came back to the office first thing in the morning, showed it to Bud Gerstein, who was my boss. He thought it was just about the greatest thing ever. He said, do your research and, and let's have a campaign. And, and we, uh, it was like Mad Men. It was like Mad Men. We had to rush something together that would impress the Garza brothers and bring them from Mexico. So more in my week of genius, I was driving up Doheny Drive, heading north towards Sunset Boulevard, and I saw a giant, giant, giant billboard which had been purchased by Tower Records for some music at the time. And I thought, this is it. I'm getting chills now because I knew it was the great, it was like, it was like discovering the cure for cancer or the, or the COVID vaccine, the Wu-Fulu vaccine in my bathtub, which, which I'll be doing in a few weeks. I thought, we buy that billboard for the week. We, we get the smoking hot chick in the nun's habit. We put that poster up there on this giant billboard all over Los Angeles. And then we fly in the Garza brothers and everyone from Mexico come from LAX, have them in the limo, driving up La Cienica Boulevard, then get the San Vicente, make a left, head west to Doheny, make a right, head north up Doheny, come up the hill, and there it would be, that billboard. And that's all they need to see. They would see that fucking billboard and they would look at each other and they would know that I am the genius that they dreamt about when they were children that would make superior beer the greatest beer of all time. And uh, I would be the Don Draper even before I knew who Don Draper was for all eternity. So we got an amazing model, auditioned, shot it in the nun's habit, you know, got it all laid out. A fellow, a fellow named Mark Berman was the art director. Oh, the most amazing, most amazing billboard ever. Got the billboard, put it up, flew up the brothers and the chief financial officer and everything. And it was on this day, 1978, or give or take a day because of the diary. And we picked them up, so excited. Late afternoon, sun was set, was just starting to set. Picked them up from the airport, drove up La Cienega, west on San Vicente, north on Doheny, and just at the crest of the hill, we stopped and pulled the limo over. We asked them to get out of the car. They got out of the car. They're all in their business suits, all in black business suits, the Mexican mafia. And we turn them around, face them at the hill and point where they could see this Godhead poster, this giant billboard with this model, Superior Beer, Make It Your Habit. And they looked and they looked and they looked. Then they got back in the car. We drove them to their hotel, which was the old Sunset Hyatt house, the riot house where uh, Led Zeppelin and the Who had stayed. It was the, the place to stay on Sunset near that billboard that we paid zillions of dollars for back in 1978 and um you know i was just i couldn't even contain myself at how excited and how awesome 
it would be in the morning when they gave us the thumbs up and the world shifted on its axis. We said, we'll see you in the morning. By the time I got to my office in the morning, there were about 11 billion phone calls on my desk. Little notes. Call Mr. Bernstein. Call Mr. Bernstein. Call Mr. Bernstein. Call Mr. Bernstein. In what you don't know that you don't know, in my wildest dreams, I would never imagine, never ever imagine that kind of mafioso Mexican families that brewed beer would be so devoutly Catholic, so deeply and devoutly Catholic, that the offense that they took seeing a near-naked model in a nun's habit with their beer brand was tantamount only to perhaps insulting their mothers and that they had turned around when they got to their hotel and taken a flight back to Mexico that night never to speak to us again. And the moral of this story is I have no idea. There is no moral. I thought it was going to be the greatest beer campaign ever. And if they'd gone with it, I'm quite sure it would have been. And Corona would just be another weak piss beer. And Superior would be like Heineken, which incidentally now owns their company after they went near bankrupt after the crash, three years later. And that was the greatest advertising campaign that never happened because of religion. Now, religion can do strange things, as we saw this past week when an Islamic fundamentalist psychopath, the, the, all three of those are not mutually exclusive, um, beheaded a beautiful man, a teacher, in Paris, uh, a history and geography teacher who was showing his students some of the cartoons that had been drawn by Charlie Hebdo of the Prophet Muhammad. Prophet Muhammad. Um, we won't even go into there right now. But um, he was beheaded. And you know what? That's why France is finished. Islamic fundamentalists. That's what happens when you bring the trash in instead of taking the trash out. That's what happens when you don't have controlled immigration. I like I like Muslims. I've got seven Muslim friends. There's actually nine Muslims that are not fundamentalist Islamic terrorists, um, and they're all unarmed. That's how you can tell a uh, a moderate Muslim they're unarmed. No, there's more. There could there could be actually twenty three. But that is what happens when you don't control your borders, just like you wouldn't leave your doors open. And as I flagged earlier in the show, talking about the upcoming U.S. election, let's take Mr. Biden out of it. Let's take Mr. Trump out of it. Let's not, let's not get into that. Let's just look at something for you to ponder for the next week and a half. If you didn't have to think of a figurehead, if you only voted for a party— so take the personalities out. There is roughly, speaking of Im immigration, about 12 million documented illegal aliens in the United States. Illegal immigrants. They're called illegal aliens. I know they're not from space and stuff like that. And, and some of them can be wonderful people, of course. I even know some. Uh, I think the maid at my mom, late mom's apartment was an illegal alien. Um, we'll never know. Maybe that's what killed her. But anyway, no, just kidding. Um, but there could be as many as 20 million. So the Democratic Party wants to legalize them all, let them all stay, and give them all the benefits that are coming out of U.S. tax dollars, and then put them on the voter roll. So, of course, they'll all vote Democrat, which means more taxes, which means more free shit, which means suddenly uh, another possibly... Five to nine percent of the U.S. population suddenly is diminished by having to spread its tax dollars out on people that are not paying taxes or largely not paying taxes and undocumented. 
and contrast that with the Republican Party, which wants to evict all the ones that are not documented paying taxes with social security numbers, send them back to wherever, the majority being South America, Central America, Mexico, and then have them reapply to come in, taking their kids with them, full stop. Now, can some of that be cruel and, and damaging? Of, cor- of course it is. It's not the nicest thing. But we're talking about the betterment of America, or are we talking about people that came in, jumped the queue illegally, of which a large amount of them probably 12 to 19% estimated are people with criminal backgrounds or committing crimes. And we're not talking jaywalking or speeding, but serious, serious gang crimes in the United States. It's not always the best people that are coming. So take the personalities out of it. Just a simple fact. Would you rather have tens of millions of people suddenly on your tax dollars, getting all the benefits, getting everything, jumping the queue, or would you rather have them come in controlled and getting the best of them and having them in legally? Just a thought for you to compare the difference between what the Democrats want and what the Republicans want without having the ego and the hate and the dislike of various personalities. Just a thought there for you. Because yes, it's a monetary decision, And just remember the Friedman economics. There's four types of ways to spend money. There's you spend your own money on yourself where you want, you know, it's low cost and you want super high quality. There's number two, you spend your own money on someone else where you want low cost also. And you might not be so concerned about the quality depending on who you're buying for. You spend someone else's money on yourself where you want the best possible quality for you. You know, they're paying for your hotel room. You want the suite, as Dan Bongino would say. And it doesn't matter what you think they're spending. And then the fourth, the important, you're spending someone else's money on someone else. And that's what the government is doing with taxes. They're spending someone else's money on someone else. We can always spend our own money better. And when you put the government in charge of that, you are going to reap the benefits if you don't deserve them, and the havoc if you're the provider. Something to think about while we go a little bit light. Wow, you just can't help but get excited when you hear that. You just you just see the curtains opening and the screen going, wow. Now, what's happening on the big screen? Well, big news for The Crown, season five and season six. Just about a done deal to play Prince Charles is Dominic West. Now, a lot of people became acquainted with Dominic West in The Wire. The Wire is astonishing. Baltimore Crime Unit, which hasn't really changed much. And um, I fell in love with him. Well, not him, you know. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I fell in love with his acting in The Affair, which is still one of my all-time favorite series, which I talked about in some of the early podcasts. Yeah, it's flawed. Yeah, one of the seasons goes a little bit too, you know, environmental on me. But, oh, my God, I still, every time I watch the first season and watch the last few episodes the last season, I just absolutely get destroyed. So amazing. He also played Fred West, Dominic West, played Fred West, as in Fred and Rosemary West, the psycho couple in England that abducted um, children and sexually tortured them and everything like that. Nice couple, very nice couple. Um, But he is amazing. And he has a little bit of a resemblance to Prince Charles. So uh, very excited about that. That'll be season five and six. And uh, we don't know if Mercedes will be a sponsor of season six um, for the episode where Diana goes through the tunnel. I don't know if Mercedes is going to do a a special ad, special ad there. So uh, wipe that mark off your face, would you? No, just can't stop those jokes. Can't stop those jokes. Moral of that story is don't date an Egyptian. 
make sure your driver has not been drinking about 70 Corvassiers. Um, can't wait for the crown, though. Can't wait for the crown. Now, what else? What are we watching? We are going nuts on a rather light piece of fare called Emily in Paris. Now, Emily in Paris is created by Darren Starr. Darren Starr is absolutely fantastic. He's an American writer, director, and producer, and he's best known for creating Beverly Hills 90210 back in 1990, Melrose Place in 1992, Sex in the City, Younger, and of course, Emily in Paris. He is super talented, Jewish gay guy, um, and, uh, you know, he was born in Potomac, Maryland. Mom was a freelance writer. His dad was an orthodontist, and uh, he attended UCLA, which uh, is where a lot of superstar showrunners come out. Now, it, Emily in Paris does have a sex in, a, in the city kind of feel, and it's an, it's an American comedy drama. Uh, it premiered on Netflix back on the 2nd of October, and it stars Lily Collins in the titular character Emily, who is an American woman moving to Paris for a job opportunity, hence Emily in Paris. There she struggles to succeed in the workplace while searching for love and experiencing culture clash with her boring Midwestern upbringing. She's from Chicago. And uh, Lily Collins, think of the surname. I couldn't couldn't picture out where I'd seen her. Couldn't picture a picture. And the face seemed kind of familiar because she now she looks like Phil Collins because it's Phil Collins' daughter. And uh, she is amazing. She was named International Model of the Year by Spain's Glamour magazine after being selected by Chanel to wear one of their dresses at the Hotel de Crillon in 2007. She looks gorgeous. She's a fantastic actress. Um, got a lot of depth. And uh, it's like Sex in the City. It really pushes a lot of sexual boundaries and the zeitgeist of what's going on. There's something about Darren Starr, no matter what he touches, he knows what's just hot right now and knows how to push it. Now, I think Sex in the City and um, is, is super dated. If you go back and, and watch it, it's just, it's hard to watch anymore. But at the time, you know, it was absolutely, absolutely epic, as was Melrose Place, as was Beverly Hills 90210. So, he knows how to do that light candy that's better than light. Absolutely fantastic. And um, we're pretty enthralled with it. And we love Paris. It's got great scenery. It's got great clothing. It's got uh, fantastic dialogue. You think it's predictable, but it's not. And uh, highly recommend that. Give it a try. Oh, and by the way, whatever you do, when you see the cool type of camera stroke phone stroke gadget that Lily is using. Please don't look online to get any of them because we already did and we don't want to see any of you having what we have if you're in Australia. If you're in the U.S., go for it. We give you permission. And that, oh my God. You know what that sound means. Entertainment's over but you know what's coming. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. bitches and today in science bitches we go to the rock nasa osiris rex spacecraft specifically landing on asteroid asteroid bennu in a mission to collect dust the spacecraft about 28 hours ago kissed the surface in a brief landing on asteroid 200 million fucking miles away from the earth and a U.S. first mission. I hope you've been seeing on, this on TV because this is absolutely amazeballs. I can't believe we actually pulled this off, said lead scientist Dante Loretta of the University of Arizona. The spacecraft did everything it was supposed to do. The NASA spacecraft has landed on this asteroid, dodging boulders the size of buildings, just in order to collect a handful of cosmic rubble 
for analysis back on Earth. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, they're bringing this shit back to Earth, where, of course, it'll be unleashed, and um, monsters and aliens and, like, Wu flu. I got this rocket from the lab will come out, and we will all die after we've gotten a vaccine for COVID. The U.S. mission follows one run by Japan called Hayabusa 2, which is due for return to Earth in December, bearing samples collected from the 4.5 billion-year-old asteroid Ryugu. And when it lands in the Australian desert, right the right here in my backyard, it'll be the first-ever subsurface asteroid sample to return to Earth. This This freaks me out. But what I do like about it is that the U.S. one, they will be putting some of the rocks in an atmosphere. And what will they be putting in this chamber? Yes, I flagged it early on. Bees! Bees! They're going to be putting bees in there. So instead of the canary in the coal mine, it's bees in the rock chamber. So they want to see, for some strange reason, which they're not making clear to me, or anyone, what bees do in a chamber full of asteroid rocks from a zillion miles away. But I suspect they think that there's something, the old, you don't know what you don't know, or BuzzFeed, that these two ounces and four pounds, respectively, of crumbly carbon-rich material thought to contain the building blocks of our solar system will have an effect on that will be another big day for us, says NASA scientist Lucy Lim. That'll be another big day. Well, be another big day when we're all dead and it's like, you know, invasion of the body snatchers. But that is an untoppable science, bitches. And yes, let's get political. I'm all for Space Force. Another Republican venture. <laughs> Ready yourselves. On your marks, get set. Bake. 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 Yep, it happened. It happened, as I have foretold for weeks. The sponge cake. The good old comfort food, and not just any sponge cake, but the passion fruit sponge cake with cream, which my associate and I put together as the cake dome, which we ordered on July 17th, arrived finally as we were literally separating the eggs. The four beautiful, beautiful eggs. I wish we had duck eggs. We're going to try that next time. The four beautiful, beautiful eggs. Get those egg whites beating with all that sugar and that massive amount of cream and those passion fruits, that icing. And oh my God, we finished it. It came out absolutely symmetrical. Just had the right amount of ingredients, that cream of tartare, all those little bits, pinch of salt that needs to be in there. Layered it up, iced it, and then we put it on the beautiful cake plate. You'll see a photo. And the cake dome. And we just looked at it and looked at it. Then we said, fuck this. And we ate it. We ate it all in a space of 28 hours. Oh, oh my God. And we got another whole sponge in the freezer right now because we'd cut it in half. So we could take that sponge out and we can go through this whole thing again. We can ice it, beat up the cream and, and just go crazy again. That could happen this weekend. I feel it happening this weekend. And what did I have to drink with it? Well, funny you ask that. There's nothing quite having a wonderful cake and something sweet with an alcohol that's also sweet but rich and complements it and doesn't overpower it. And Meadows, M-E-D-O-S, Honey Vodka, was the go. Meadows Honey Vodka is a unique vodka, which has been a specialty in Poland, one of the few things Poland does right, for over two centuries. It originated in 1810, and this remarkably smooth spirit is made from pure ingredients, including grains, fruits, root extracts, honey, and pure water, style 
vodka. Now, how did I discover this? I discovered it from the dentist to the stars who told me about it in its history and implied me to try some at an earlier appointment, perhaps to anesthetize me for the tooth problem that I had, or perhaps just to put me in a more relaxed mood and enjoy his practice. But Medos can be enjoyed at any time, and even before brushing your teeth for breakfast. This stuff is amazing, but wow, is it great with cake. It's not overly expensive, and uh, you got to pick some up and give it a try. Stunning. Oh, and seemingly unrelated, but somewhat related, Poland being a third world country, let's go right to China, which should be a third world country when we're done bombing them back into the Stone Age. Uh, it's interesting that I forgot to mention in entertainment news that China this week surpassed the U.S. as the number one box office in film in the world at about $2 billion, just under $2 billion, the U.S. at $1.9 billion. And of course, it's mid-year, and by the end of the year, they'll smash us because China cinema is operating at 79%, where U.S. cinemas are at 4% capacity operation. Very, very sad. Let them eat cake. So, you finally arrived. What the hell are you wearing? It's my ass-kicking outfit, bitch! Well, 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 I've got two words for you. Chiara Ferrani. Chiara Ferrani. Chiara Ferrani, born the 7th of May, 1987, is an Italian entrepreneur, fashion blogger, influencer, and designer who has collaborated with fashion and beauty brands. Through her blog, The Blonde Salad, in September of 2017, she was ranked first, numero uno, on the Forbes Top Fashion Influencers list. And... She mostly designs women's clothes of all types, but she also does some men's stuff and some unisex stuff. And I was wearing her beanie this morning. My wife bought one of the beanies online from Farfetch. Great company. Amazing customer service. Instantly ships. Instantly returned if you don't like it. But I had to have this hat. I saw this hat and I go, it's going to make me a better person. And, uh, you know, when you're 67 and your hair is a bit wild and you're trying to both look trendy, but have control of your tresses. And uh, you're fundamentally lazy like myself. A beanie is a great thing because it's been quite chilly here. It's not something you can wear in the summer. Anyway, this lady started her fashion blog in October of 2009. And New York introduced her as one of the biggest breakout street style stars of the year. And she's modeled for guests. Her TV credits include the Italian TRL Awards as a presenter. Um, she is just, she's not a one-hit wonder. She is amazing, all of her stuff, and great style and amazing clothing. She's the daughter of a dentist from the northern city of Cremona, and she married Italian rapper and producer Federico Lucia, known as Fedez after they started dating in late 2016. See the information you get here? They got engaged in May of 2017 during his concert in Verona. And the concert and proposal were broadcast live on the Italian radio and TV channel RTL 102.5. The wedding took place in Noto, Sicily on the 1st of September, 2018. And uh, check her out. See the things in the show notes. And... Uh, she was one of the first big fashion influencers on Instagram. Because of her broad, broad following, she was actually able to earn about $12,000 for a sponsored post to Instagram back in 2017. So a real trendsetter. And I think she's got 20, 30, 40 years of amazement ahead of her. She could be as, as powerful as like a Karl Lagerfeld as far as influence, while without being that type of a specific super talented, you know, designer from A to Z. She's really got a niche. Very powerful. And uh, check that out. I'm loving my hat. Didn't help me win at tennis, though. And just kind of rolling on from that, you know, because I really love my hat and I chose it. Um, 
a Seth Godinism. You know, we do like what we choose. It's not the other way around. It feels safer to say that we're born with talents and gifts, that we have a true calling, that we're, what we're looking for connects us with our passion. But that's not useful because it means that you spend a lot of time shopping around. And it's also not true. New research confirms that random choices lead to preferences. And then it follows that preferences lead to habits. Habits lead us to become the person we somehow decide we were born to be. So think about it. If you'd grown up somewhere else or sometime else, there's little doubt that you'd prefer something else. The things we think we need are simply the things we're used to. And if you like what you like, simply because you have a pattern, that means that you might be able to like something else if you could develop new patterns. In short, if you commit to loving what you do, you're more likely to find engagement and satisfaction. And if you do, and if what you do changes, you can choose to love that too. This follows on with clothing, with diet, with any other type of choice. It's very profound the more that you think about it. Thank you, Seth. And just because I can't keep away from those type of thought processes right now, which have really happened a lot this week, lots of dreams. Everyone I know has had really profound dreams this week, which is the powerful influence of Neptune and Jupiter in our charts. Thank you, Mystic Medusa. And this is going to be powerful until January. I know you've had immense dreams this week. If you've had immense dreams, email me. If you haven't, something's wrong with you. But think about limbo, two kinds of limbo. Uncomfortable limbo happens when we're seeking firm footing and there isn't any. The discomfort comes from the not knowing and from our unlimited desire to get through it to the other side. A comfortable limbo is simply a place to hide. We lull ourselves into complacency because the limbo of being in between feels safe with no responsibility. So amazingly, Two different people can experience the same limbo in totally different ways. It's not the limbo that's different. It's us. So just a couple of shout outs that uh, I'd like to give. Um, my coffee machine, which I've had for five years, it's an espresso DeLonghi. One of my favorite possessions of my life is starting to leak quite a bit. And uh, I got on the horn with uh, Nespresso and straight away a guy named Joshi in Sydney got back to me and helping me fix it uh, literally over email and stuff like that. Amazing service from Nespresso. I actually got one of the first Nespresso machines in the late 1990s that came out for my former company in Sydney, an early adopter even before George Clooney. Thank you, George. Sorry, but uh, great, great service. And also this last week, I got an immense surprise sitting here and the doorbell rang and the buzzer and went and a package came out of nowhere wasn't expecting any package strange enough and it was a stunning amazing gorgeous acronymic book from prada the folks at prada out at chadston and uh just out of the blue just um a wondrous book which pictures on the show notes so thank you to those cool wonderful creative people and uh, that's going to be it for today. Until I hear back on what's on Hunter Biden's computer, can't wait. But we're all about facts, not speculation. And remember, once again, as Ben Shapiro, who will be reviewing his book next week, facts don't care about your feelings. Your feelings may care about facts, but facts do not care about your feelings. And I'm not here to bully and push facts down people's throats. I'm here to give my opinion on things that I believe are facts. And hopefully you will enjoy it and be educated and entertained. Because that's what it's about. Much love. Thank you for supporting this. And thank you for subscribing in advance. Be awesome. Be epic. Be back next week. Ciao, ciao. Meow.